Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, exploring the human endeavor. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective. Hey y'all, it's Chico Theory, and I'm back with a new episode in our series on Black American English. Today, I want to explore the relationship between African American English and music. We'll start in the 1930s. Now, won't you hear me swinging? The Great Depression was ripe, and Jim Crow was still the law of the land in the South. White women were making incremental strides in society, entering the workforce and exercising their right to vote. And by the end of the decade, one black woman became infamous for pushing the envelope even further. Oh, if you leave me, I will die. Sister Rosetta Tharp was a rare and radical musician. She played guitar, an instrument associated with masculinity at the time. She also combined secular and religious themes in her music, performing both the sacred and profane in nightclubs, among other venues. Later, Tharp and another woman named Marie Knight would go on tour as two black queer women in love. Boy, was sis bold. She's now considered the godmother of rock and roll. Before Elvis, Johnny Cash, and Little Richard, there was sister Rosetta Tharp. Can't no grave hold my body down. Can't no grave hold my body down. You know, when the fires trumpet sound, I'm gonna get up out of the ground. What Sister Rosetta Tharp did and what she stood for is central to the work of Jordana Elizabeth. Jordana is a Baltimore-based journalist and music critic, and I think she's the perfect person to lay out why musical innovation like Sister Rosetta Tharp's was often linguistic innovation too. It propelled African-American English to a whole new place. From Quiet Juice and the Linguistic Society of America, this is Subtitle, stories about languages and the people who speak them. I want to know, is there a particular role music plays in the evolution of Black American English? Okay, let me give you a little background on Jordana. The first thing you should know, she's very proud to rep her city. I come from Baltimore City, born and raised, super excited about my culture and my hometown. Jordana has written about all kinds of music, but most of her work focuses on women and jazz. In fact, she's the founder of an online publication called The Feminist Jazz Review. As we were chatting, I figured I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the jazz legend Cab Calloway. What do you know, Gabe? Are you in the know or are you a solid bringer down? Listen here, Jack. Take it slow, and you can learn just what I mean. Are you to the Calloway was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, musician of the 1930s. And he was known to use a lot of slang, or jive as he called it, in his music. As his audience grew and became more diverse, those jive terms weren't so easily understood. So Calloway did something ingenious. He created his own dictionary in which he defines these words, 
It wasn't a 4,000-page book with a thick cover, more like a pamphlet. And it included phrases like jelly, which meant free or on the house. A frolic pad was a place of entertainment, like a theater or a nightclub. There's a great video where Calloway actually defines these words through song. We'll link you to it in the show notes. What's a doghouse? A doghouse is a thing. A big bull fiddle that you slap with a swing. If my phrasing seems amazing and you're eager to get hep, get hep to hep's dictionary. I had to tell Jordana about this. So he created a dictionary called the Cab Calloway Hepster Dictionary, Ooh. and it's said to be the first written by a black American. And it includes terms that I've never heard of before, terms like off the cob, which apparently means uh, corny or out of date. I don't, have you heard of that before? No, but I like it. And I, it reminds <laughs> me of like off the cuff, which is different. Off the cuff means improvising, yeah. but I could see how mm-hmm. that could have stemmed from off the cob, you know. Mm-hmm. But there are also a lot of terms in there that actually still exist in Black American English today. Terms like cop, which means to obtain or to mm-hmm. get, like I'm a cop mm-hmm. that, I'm a cop those shoes. Mm-hmm. What do you make of how Calloway brought the language of Black folk to the forefront as a musician in this way? Yeah, um, first of all, I believe Kev Calloway has, has roots in Baltimore and, you know, along with mm-hmm. uh, Billie Holiday and others who spend a lot of time in Baltimore. <laughs> That's where hip hop derives from, big band and gospel. And it's all a direct descendant. And the fact that Kev Calloway was able to compile the language of his culture is absolutely incredible. The jim jam jumpin' jumpin' jive makes you get your jive on the mellow side. Hep, hep. Hep, hep. The jim jam jumpin' the silent jive makes you nine foot tall when you're four foot five. Hep, hep. Some of Callaway's other terms that you might recognize, riff, lick, hip, groovy, and apple, as in the big town Harlem. I could list dozens more, but there are so many terms that have become commonplace in standard American English today that find roots in African American English. There's this balance, you know, with Cab Calloway's pre-urban dictionary saying, we are who we are, this is what it is, but let's give it to the world so that it can grow and evolve. So there's this balance, you know, of acceptance and of radical change, you know? Mm-hmm. It's interesting you make the connection between Cap Calloway and modern day hip hop. I wonder if there are some like specific examples of his songs that sort of have a direct lineage to the art form. Really the way he performed his lyrics and the beat and the rhythm and the cadence that he chose and then the call and response, you know, with big bands. And I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not an expert on Cab Calloway's music, but I, I think about, you know, Sister Rosetta Tharp. Boston beans, 
soybeans, green beans, cabbage and greens. I'm not getting a bone of bean unless it is a cherry, cherry bean boy. The Ink Spots was another musical act, forging a new kind of sound and lyricism in the 30s. This group from Indianapolis was the predecessor of doo-wop. You know, these groups that just kind of had the beat and a spoken style in their singing, it all just directly derives from that form of early performance in the 30s. And of course, before that, the rhythm-based music of Africa. I believe it's all connected. How integral would you say Black American English is in American music and maybe even more broadly songs that sort of are part of the tapestry of the American experience? Black American music and Black American language, you know, has become a tapestry of cultural language, of global language. Gen Z culture is incredibly influenced by the language of hip-hop and hip-hop culture. You know, hip-hop is the most listened to genre, you know, in the United States of America. And of course, um, it's very, very, very popular and influential across the globe. You know, turned up like I did. Okay, for those of you who don't know, turned up is an expression that describes a state of euphoria and high energy. For example, I can't wait to get turned up with my girls in the Bahamas. Or this concert is turned up. I should also note that a lot of people use it to describe the joy of being tipsy or drunk. I remember there was like a TV show and the girls were like, oh, this is turned up. And there was a young black girl who didn't really know what that meant. I felt like that young black girl, like I'm still learning my own culture's Mm -hmm. language. So when I listen to hip hop, I have to listen over and over and over again. Like, you know, what's a bag? Okay, that means, you know, you caught an amount of money. You get the bag and fumble it. I get the bag and flip it and tumble it. Straight out the lot. The older generation was saying, I caught a lick. My, <laughs> right? You know, right? Like, I'm yeah. fascinated, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm that same way. I feel like, especially now with like Gen Z, really challenging a lot of what we've known about Black American English and slang and the way it works. I'm constantly like Googling. Urban Dictionary, what does this mean? Because it truly is like evolving very rapidly, as you say. Mm -hmm. I just finished the book, A Child's Introduction to Hip Hop, and you can map how hip hop spread from the Bronx to Manhattan and from Manhattan when it kind of embedded the white high art scene. And it has nothing to do with the influence of American white culture. Black Mm -hmm. artists and Black hip-hop artists were very clear about wanting to travel so you can mark, you know, when hip-hop came to London, you can mark the spread. We should certainly owe it to Black artists, Black writers, rappers and poets, because they were intentional and I don't think 
we as a culture get enough appreciation and acknowledgement for having the will and the vision to travel and take the art wherever you know we wanted it to go. And I wonder now, two years after the so-called racial reckoning in 2020, from what you've observed, do you think that the gatekeepers of industry have sort of changed their attitude about Black American English from, from your standpoint as a writer? No. <laughs> They've changed their attitude about Black people, Black experiences and Black voices. And that's very much appreciated. The voices that are coming out are different and many times established, many times emerging. But I don't think we have pieces that are coming out that are strongly influenced by true neighborhood Black community dialogue. No, not really. I don't think so. Do you think there's reception for that right now? Or are we at a point where people are yearning for that or not yet? No, we have hip hop for that. But now with the global culture, you know, we're all influencing each other. Now, it's important to underscore, of course, that the evolution of Black American English and the attitudes about it aren't limited to just music. There are so many other art forms it touches, literature, theater, and movies. And Jordana doesn't think attitudes about Black American English have changed through those mediums either. Part of it has to do with the authenticity of those narratives. Are there stories from the Bronx anymore? Are there stories from Macon, Georgia? Are there stories from Baltimore, Maryland, you know, that aren't centered around police and crime and kind of all of those things? Are there true stories of the day-to-day lives of working-class Black people know? Is there a need for that? I don't know. I don't know. I think I, I care, and I would like to see that done authentically. Stories that center Black people and their cultures should be told by those who actually belong to and speak the language of those communities to accurately depict their realities, approaching it with an understanding of who they truly are, not what other people expect them to aspire to be. Jordana mentioned names of Black artists who brought their truest selves to the art form. Sister Rosetta Tharp, Cab Calloway with his Hepster's Dictionary. I mean, these artists didn't bend to the linguistic norms of what audiences expected. They brought their vernacular to the main stage. And from there, to the globe. Finally, I'm not running back, I'm turning up. Turning up and on and down, coming down. I be coming for your mind, running in. I be fighting for your time, right? I know it's so what happens when a vernacular like Black American English travels outside of the U.S.? What kind of influence does it have on other cultures? And in turn, how have other cultures influenced Black American English? In the next episode, we'll get into all of that with someone who interacted with this vernacular long before she even stepped foot in America. This episode is reported and produced by me, Shiko Thiuri. Special thanks to Oluwakemi Aladisui, Patrick Cox, and Nina Porzuki. 
Also thanks to everyone at the Linguistic Society of America. Tina Toby is our sound designer. Allison Shaw manages our social media and newsletter. And if you haven't subscribed yet, go to subtitle.com newsletter. That's subtitle.com newsletter. Subtitle is a member of the Hub & Spoke Audio Collective. Another Hub & Spoke show is Soonish. Soonish is a podcast about technology, specifically about the moment when we sense the future touching our present lives. You can find episodes on food and work and travel. The latest episode is about newts, not the Gingrich variety, but those little amphibians. Newts and their connection to the man who coined the word robot. Trust me, it'll blow your mind. Check out Soonish and all the other Hub & Spoke shows at hubspokeaudio.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks to everyone who rated and reviewed Subtitle. If you haven't done so yet, please leave us a review whenever you listen. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, exploring the human endeavor. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective.